Chapter Eight of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. Oh, father, what a hell of witchcraft lies in the small orb of one particular tear! But with the inundation of the eyes, what rocky heart to water will not wear? What breast so cold that is not warmed here? The Lamia picture had made due progress during the winter and spring and as it is almost impossible to paint a young woman's portrait without arriving at some degree of intimacy with the woman herself louisa gurner and walter leyburne had by this time while spring was still young and bleak and cold become something more than common acquaintance walter had worked harder than usual at this picture and had been more constant to his first idea than he was wont to be it was the first meeting of lysias and lamia about a bird's flutter from the wood near corinth that he had ultimately chosen for his subject a dreamy landscape dimly shone in the mystic twilight and only those two figures youth and passion incarnate during the few sittings he had found his model curiously silent and shy and had even begun to think she must be as her father had hinted a dull and stupid young person at best she had been obedient and submissive to his orders had stood patiently in the attitude in which he placed her had never yawned or shifted from one foot to the other throwing every line of the figure wrong in an instant as hireling models were apt to do but for some time his little attempts at conversation prompted by civility or even kindness had been futile he could obtain nothing more than monosyllabic replies or the most commonplace little remarks which sounded like a mere echo of mrs gurner yet he could hardly bring himself to believe her utterly stupid those great dark eyes which he strove to reproduce upon his canvas had at times such a look of depth as though unfathomable wells of thought and feeling lay beneath their shining surface those lips had grave and pathetic curves which he would have chosen for his type of passion and sorrow from all the lips in creation yes there must be a soul lurking in this neglected form a soul of wider capabilities than common souls a mind that lacked only the light of education he had not spent three mornings at his new picture before a new idea flashed into his busy brain what a glorious thing it would be to illumine the outer darkness in which this poor child lived to redeem this imprisoned soul from its bondage or in plain words to educate jared gurner's daughter if the picture were to be a success now it would be a generous and appropriate act to make the girl some worthy recompense for her trouble he would owe half his fame to her peculiar beauty he might never have thought of his subject had not her face put the lamia fancy into his head what recompense could be better for her than three or four years in a good school she had talked despairingly of voysey street as a world from which she saw no avenue of escape to place her in some pleasant suburban seminary such an establishment as that of miss mayduke's of whom flora was so fond of talking would be to rescue her at once from her sordid surroundings to lift her out of the kennel in which she had grovelled so long and afterwards when her education and his patronage ended together why then her future would be in a manner in her own hands a woman with a good education may do so many things she may turn governess or companion there is of course a perennial demand for either article or she may go in for bookkeeping and earn a handsome living in some commercial establishment yes said the painter to himself as decisively as if he had sworn to do this thing if the lamia is a success i will give lou three years at a good boarding-school it was a mere fancy of his to make the benefit contingent on the future of his picture since he could have very well afforded to do this good work 
a young man of simple habits and an income of three thousand a year has ample margin for benevolence but an unsuccessful man is apt to feel churlishly disposed towards his fellow-creatures and walter leyburne felt that if the picture were a failure his model's welfare would be a matter of small importance to him in the meantime however he found some amusement in educating the young lady himself not according to any system or educational process known to trained instructors but in that desultory and fragmentary mode in which the teacher follows the bent of his own mind and seeks first of all his own amusement after three or four sittings loo had brightened wonderfully the shy restrained manner wore off she ceased to torment herself with an angry feeling that this spoiled child of fortune must needs despise herself and all her surroundings that he was only civil to her out of scornful pity that he deemed her of a different clay from that young lady of whom he had spoken with such loving admiration he was so thoroughly kind that her rebellious heart could not long hold out against him her face lighted up at sight of him those days in which she spent all the lightest hours in her father's room they two alone together for the most part became intervals of happiness it was quite a new feeling to her her only idea of pleasure until now had been to sit on the fender while her father worked or smoked in those rare intervals of indulgence when this privilege was permitted to her but even these glimpses of sunshine were apt to end in storm and darkness something would go wrong about the supper or he would receive an unpleasant letter or a call from someone to whom he owed money and in any case would vent his ill-temper upon her walter leyburne was kinder than her father at his kindest and was never ill-tempered little by little she contrived to make some slight amendment in her appearance her hair was better brushed and neatly arranged in that classic style which the painter had taught her the old green stuff gown was more carefully mended she had an object in life and grudged no labour to make herself decent she had tried to extort a gown from her grandmother's generosity a gown out of the stock but the old lady was adamant if i once allowed the stock to be tampered with i should never know where i was she said the business would go to pieces in no time i must have a good show of variety something to catch every eye there's that plum-coloured satin for instance it's very slow to sell but i've had a good bit of money out of that gown from first to last young women come in and look at it and make a bargain about it and agree to buy it by weekly instalments and leave a deposit of half a crown or eighteen pence and never come nigh the place again change their minds i suppose or find it's beyond their means one middle-aged lady in the public line paid me six instalments as regular as clockwork and after that never come anigh me such is the fickleness of human nature no louisa i will never consent to tamper with the stock if you won't do for la mina in your green merino which must have cost seven and sixpence a yard when it was new i dare say it did grandma for that must have been when merinos were first invented he can go elsewhere and paint some other young woman and pay her for her trouble which he doesn't you continued mrs gurner without noticing the pert interruption if he doesn't pay me grandma he pays father plenty of money that's as may be i don't often see the colour of it there's half a dozen rates on the chimney-piece and if we've water for our tea this very afternoon it's more than i expect for the collector threatened to cut it off three weeks ago though the sittings took place in mr gurner's room that gentleman was rarely present he had made it a point that the thing should be done under his own roof that his daughter in her dealings with this stranger should be as it were guarded by the aegis of his parental character surrounded with the sacred influences of the domestic hearth 
and having secured this point he appeared somewhat indifferent to details he was by nature an idler and a loafer and so long as the sting of the foul serpent poverty pierced not too keenly he would take his ease preferring to roam the world at random in pursuit of stray gleams of good luck to toiling at home at the slow drudgery of his art thus it happened that the painter and his model had the shabby first-floor front for the most part to themselves and walter had ample leisure for that educational process to which his fancy inclined mrs gurner always a stickler for the observance of social laws as understood in the unwritten code of voysey street did occasionally interrupt the sitting by a stately visit begging to be allowed to see the picture and favouring the painter with her ideas upon his particular work and art in general give me the old masters mr leyburne she would remark in conclusion without meaning any disrespect to you for i make no doubt when la mania comes out a little clearer the picture will be very taking but don't tell me about your melisses and your belmores and your almanunts give me the old masters look at the tone and the mellowness of em everything subdued down into a beautiful rich brown and as smooth as a mahogany table why if you put your nose against one of them melisses it's as rough as a gravel path all the paint laid on in splotches and ridges as if it had been painted with a curry-comb give me a rembrandt or a van dilk there's as fine a tone in one of their holy families as in a stradivarius violin to such art criticism as this mr leyburne could only defer in all humility i have unbounded respect for the old masters he said rubens and van dyck were giants yes mrs gurner the old masters were fine fellows even sir joshua was knocked backwards by them he saw something in the italian school that modern art even his could never compass mrs gurner's visit generally ended in a luncheon respectfully suggested and paid for by the painter he would run across to the fish-shop and order a liberal supply of oysters adding thereto a handsome allowance of edinburgh ale from the handiest public-house and in ten minutes or so jared's table would be cleared of its litter of papers and glue-pots and brushes and files and gimlets and a gypsy kind of repast spread thereon loo with that new-born instinct of hers tending towards order contrived that there should always be a clean tablecloth ready on these occasions even though she had to wash it in a hand-basin at midnight after her father's supper mr leyburne derived a curious kind of enjoyment from these gypsy meals a pleasure keener than if not so pure as that which he felt in the fitzroy square dinners outspoken as he might be in miss chamney's presence having at no time any evil thought to conceal any cloven foot to cover with the drapery of polite language his soul expanded yet more fully here and self that agreeable creature stood boldly forth in its brightest colours he knew that he was admired that louisa believed in him as an african believes in his fetish little words little looks unconscious of their own force and meaning had revealed as much as this and the young man enjoyed the sunshine without afterthought for himself or any one he had never in his life had an afterthought he was indeed serene in the consciousness of benevolent intentions towards this poor foolish child that idea of the boarding-school shut the door upon every anxious thought let her worship him a little if she liked in the present the worship had already lent a new refinement to her manner a spirituality to her strangely handsome face she was being educated in the best possible school for a woman's progress a school in which sentiment and sympathy eked out the words of the teacher even mrs gurner's presence at these gypsy banquets took nothing from their pleasantness she was not perhaps the companion whom one would have selected for a tete-a-tete repast 
but as a third the painter found her an agreeable study of character she made odd remarks of the malaprop order warmed a little with the influence of bottled ale and cast off that heavy burden of misery which she was wont to carry through life she philosophized upon life as a maze whereof the devious turnings and windings and unexpected no thoroughfares had sorely perplexed her spirit she discoursed of her own past those natural hopes and expectations of a well-brought-up young woman which after experience had disappointed but of that bygone period she spoke always vaguely and the status she had originally held and the causes of her downfall were alike unrevealed to the painter even in the most confidential moments made garrulous with ale and oysters she never descended from the cloudland of generalities to the solid ground of particulars life is an enigma mr leyburne she remarked one day with a faint moan life madam replied the painter who always affected a certain ceremoniousness in his converse with the lady life has been compared to a froward child which must be rocked in its cradle or narcotized with daffy's elixir till it falls asleep a comparison oddly enough to be found verbatim in the works of three distinguished writers sir william temple voltaire and goldsmith ah said the matron sententiously there are some children that don't get daffy's elixir it's all vaccination and measles and rhubarb powders for some of us there grandma exclaimed loo with a shrug of her slim shoulders don't be dreary mr leyburne doesn't come here for dreariness it's all very well at your age louisa answered mrs gurner with chilling dignity but when you come to my time of life which i'm sure i hope i never shall grandma if i'm to come to it in voysey street you would have fallen a good deal lower in the world but for me louisa the ladies wardrobe business was my idea your father wouldn't have cared if we'd sunk to chandlery and neville's bread i should have liked the chandlery better for my part replied the incorrigible damsel the trade would have been brisk at any rate i'd rather sell tea and sugar and candles and neville's bread and spiced beef any day than dawdle over old gowns and moth-eaten furs that nobody ever seems to want to buy yes even if i had to serve all the small children in the neighbourhood with half-ports of sugar candy mrs gurner shook her head with a shake of calm despair to think that such low instincts should crop up in a child of mine she said after the trouble i took to fix upon a genteel business no counter no scales and weights nothing humbling to the feelings no and no till and no profits mostly answered loo these gipsy banquets however delightful as they might be were not quite the sweetest hours of loo's new life it was when the painter and she were alone together that she knew perfect happiness a rapture of content so strange in its utter novelty his talk was no longer mere civility or frivolous commonplace intended to set her at ease with him he talked to her now as if she were on an intellectual level with himself opened his heart and mind told his hopes and dreams and fears the story of his past the scheme of his future all his wildest fancies which shifted like the figures in a kaleidoscope but with far more variety of form and colour and which never repeated themselves he would talk to her as he had never ventured to talk to flora with a certain bohemian recklessness but no shadow of evil thought he was in fact not particularly anxious to retain her good opinion as he was with regard to flora and he let her see odd corners in his mind which despite his habitual candour he had kept hidden from the young lady in fitzroy square flora was to be his wife some day 
he looked upon that as a settled question and she had therefore something of a sacred character in his mind not to her could he pour out his mind in all its fullness as he could to this quick-witted young woman in boise street who by reason of her early acquired knowledge of life's darker side seemed to be ten years older than mark chamney's daughter when he fancied that she was tired of standing though he could never extort a complaint from her or even an admission of weariness he would suspend his work for a little while being perhaps somewhat tired himself and read to her he took some pride in his reading and read well in a passionate impetuous way this began by his reading lamia so that she might understand the story of which she was the heroine the vivid passionate verse so new to her unaccustomed ears seemed like enchantment her own reading had lain chiefly in the direction of penny numbers pirates and bandit chiefs and gypsy maidens and tout le tremblement this first glimpse of real poetry all glow and grace and beauty moved her curiously it was then that all semblance of stupidity disappeared and walter leyburne discovered that his surmise had been correct those broad temples were the indication of a powerful mind a mind hid in darkness but with infinite capacity he had that happy thought about the boarding-school at once and determined to educate her for her profit and his own amusement meanwhile he read her the whole of keats and then finding her delight unabated her hunger for eloquent verse only whetted he opened the vast treasure-house of shakespeare he began with romeo and juliet which entranced her hamlet she thought dull the midsummer night's dream silly except the scenes between hermia and helena she swarmed to othello and wept at the overthrow of that heroic soul macbeth was like a vision of a strange world a region of passions grander than she had ever dreamed of and she followed every line of those vivid pictures with intensest appreciation no young woman who had been spoon-fed with gems of shakespeare at school could have warmed to that mighty voice as she did to whom the whole was new it seemed to her as if she had only just begun to live or had emerged from some dark antechamber of the earth into fairyland what did voysey street matter to her now one street was as good as another to live in if she could have such a book as that to read and such a friend as mr leyburne to guide her in this new world of light and life and poetry he let her revel in shakespeare till she knew all the great tragedies and then called up another and younger spirit shakespeare is too heavy for my humour this morning he said one day and produced a neat little morocco-bound volume from his pocket which he opened thoughtfully and anon took two or three turns up and down the room before he began to read he read or in part recited the whole of the jower without pausing for a word of criticism it was his masterpiece in the way of recitation and he put his heart into every line when he stood motionless with downward bending eyes and began those thrilling lines he who hath bent him o'er the dead the girl's rapture broke forth in a passionate sob but was as suddenly stifled and she listened calmly to the end that isn't shakespeare she said no nor keats no i'm glad you begin to discriminate the differences of style i didn't think that human beings could write like that said the girl with a gasp where is he the man that wrote about leila why because i should like to go to him and kneel down before him and ask leave to worship him rather a foolish proceeding if he were alive answered mr leyburne but you may go and worship at his grave he is dead loo burst out crying the nerves unstrung by those divine verses gave way at the thought that he who penned them was dust 
i shall never read you anything of byron's again said mr leyburne severely what did he write more than that much more oh but you will read the rest won't you when your nerves are stronger he brought a volume of milton at the next sitting but loo looked tired after the first page of paradise lost and confessed her indifference she liked the hymn of the nativity however though the classic names in it mystified her the strong music pleased her keen ear for numbers thus her education progressed with the picture mr leyburne left her his books to read at her leisure a period only to be found after midnight and she sat up into the small hours when mrs gurner was calmly reposing in the press bedstead and aroused that careful housewife's ire by an undue consumption of candle an education such as this the world of poetry suddenly unveiled to an intelligence sharpened by privation and the bitter experiences of voysey street effected a strangely rapid transformation in this ardent undisciplined nature this girl's mind was empty of all those objects which distract the attention or even absorb the mind of the happier portion of womankind dress pleasure society had for her no existence half the dreariness of her past had arisen from the fact that except cares and troubles she had nothing to think of her mind was a virgin soil ripe to receive the new seed that fell upon it the seed of grand thoughts and of melodious verses full of deep meaning to few other women of nineteen could shakespeare and byron mean so much as they meant to this girl she knew no bright visions outside those books her only knowledge of nature was derived from regent's park and primrose hill and rare had been her glimpses even of those unremote landscapes she had spent a summer afternoon once on hampstead heath on the occasion of a school treat but that blissful day was long gone by and the rural scene had faded from her memory behind the mist of years yet by that normal clairvoyance of the imagination which lord lytton had described in one of his exquisite essays she beheld the snow-clad mountains where manfred held commune with the spirit world the old italian garden where romeo and juliet wooed each other in the starlight by some gradual process which he perhaps could hardly have explained to himself the painter extended his hours of work in voysey street there were days when he was not in the vein of the lamia picture and a young man with three thousand a year in perpetuity will hardly labour against the grain having no need to produce pot-boilers so on these off days he would put his patient model into some new attitude and begin a single figure picture imogen or olivia or juliet or the dorothea of cervantes or joan of arc as caprice prompted the model caring nothing so long as she had his company it is possible that mrs gurner would have hardly tolerated so much waste of her granddaughter's time but for those social luncheons which served the two women for dinners and also on account of the more substantial aid afforded the small household by mr leyburne's employment of jared as a picture restorer he's the best customer i've got said jared to his parent so mind you're civil to him old lady i'm not sorry he's taken so to loo for she's improved ever so much since she began to sit to him keeps her hair tidier and mends her gown and after all though he might be sweet upon the other one to begin with who knows what may happen men's minds are changeable enough at the best of times or there wouldn't be so many breach of promise cases in the newspapers perhaps not jared sighed mrs gurner but the breachers i mean those who break their promise generally throw over a poor girl to marry a rich one shortly after writing these beautiful letters full of affection and quotations from scripture the defendant married another lady with property 
that's how it goes in the newspapers there's generally property with the second lady i never saw a case where it was a rich girl left in the lurch for the sake of a poor one because rich girls don't demean themselves by bringing actions answered jared they've got the knowledge of their independence to sustain them and they're above the consideration of damages it may be so jared but experience has taught me to look at the dark side of the picture i wouldn't allow mr leyburne to come near the place if i thought there was any harm in him but from what i've seen of him the babe unborn isn't more innocent influenced it may be by some airy vision shaped out of possibilities mr gurner's soul expanded so far as to move him to give his daughter a sovereign for the purchase of a new gown never mind your grandmother's rubbish he said when loo told him of mrs gurner's unwillingness to tamper with the stock go out and buy some new stuff that hasn't been worn by a pack of lord knows what's said mr gurner pulling himself up short and coining a word but that's clean and decent as it came from the loom whereupon louisa enraptured rushed off to peter robinson's where she was almost overcome by the size and splendour of the place and bought a vivid blue merino which she cut out and half made that evening under the indignant eyes of her grandparent if you had money to spend louisa i think you might have laid it out in your own family i'd have let you had that brown poplin for a sovereign a dress that must have cost five when it was new you said you didn't want to interfere with the stock grandma not without having some quo pro quid to enter in my books louisa but your custom would be the same as any one else's except that i should have given you the advantage i've been asking five-and-thirty shillings for that poplin there's wine stains all down the front breadth grandma and some little holes burnt in one sleeve as if it was done with a cigar you needn't disparage the dress louisa because you've spent your money elsewhere besides father told me to buy a new gown and that's the long and the short of it concluded loo curtly the study of shakespeare had not as yet improved or modified the familiar language of daily life perhaps as your father is in such a generous mood he'll be kind enough to pay the water rate observed mrs gurner in a biting tone it's been standing long enough mr leyburne was somewhat startled on his next visit by loo's appearance in the bright blue gown its colour reminded him of that blue silk whose musical frou-frou he had heard so often in fitzroy square he gave a little guilty look and began painting with less delay than usual louisa was disappointed she had expected some praise of her new dress not that it was his habit to pay her compliments only a new dress to her was so great an event that she could hardly suppose it would pass unnoticed she placed herself in the accustomed pose but her lower lip trembled for a moment and she looked like a child inclined to cry walter dashed into his work vigorously but soon flagged seemed strangely disturbed in temper and at last flung down his brush with a muttered exclamation that might have been anything it's no use he cried impatiently i can't paint you in that glaring blue thing the flesh tints are nowhere i must have a dress made immediately classic drapery and so on i can get one from a theatrical costumier don't you like blue faltered louisa for some complexions not for yours what made you put that gown on to-day it's a new one my father gave it me i thought you'd like it better than the old dingy one i always wear i haven't had a new one for two years a little choking sound followed the confession and poor lou's mortification found relief in tears 
that beautiful bright blue garment which she had toiled to make in the dead hours of the night when there was profoundest silence save of errant cats in voysey street that garment over whose gores and side breasts and placket hole and right sleeve and left sleeve her puzzled brain had perplexed itself was flouted as a glaring blue thing by the one person whose approbation she most desired she had fancied that she would appear to him a regenerate creature in that new gown like a butterfly released from the dull cocoon that had bound it the childish sob the brimming eyes touched walter's kindly heart he ran across the room to her comforted her with little tender meaningless words and drew her towards him with a gentle brotherly caress my dearest child he said the dress is all that is charming as a dress only it kills your complexion that pale olive skin of yours is ruined by blue reflections why didn't you tell me you wanted a new dress let me choose it for you but i'll have the lamia costume made at once i must paint my drapery from the real thing greek robes of white cashmere with the old key border in scarlet just enough colour to warm the dead white and make a vivid contrast with that inky hair she was consoled but he remained none the less sorry for having wounded her what a foolish sensitive creature she was in spite of voysey street the grandmother the second-hand finery a very woman in no wise unsexed by that sharp ordeal of poverty until now he had shrunk from offering her anything approaching to a gift even his books he had only lent her but on the day after this little scene he sent her a parcel of silk a deep rich purple red the colour of chambertin there was lace in the parcel soft-looking brussels or mechlin which mrs gurner pronounced worth a small fortune it was hardly the most serviceable dress that could have been given to a young person in voysey street that wine-dark naples silk scarcely a dress to fetch beer in or even wear sitting at one's ease in the little parlour where all the domestic processes necessary to existence went on daily certainly not a dress in which to wait upon lodgers or to do the cleaning but having wounded her by his unkindness mr leyburne was only eager to atone for his offence and to his artistic mind the question of utility never presented itself dear miss gurner he wrote in the brief note which accompanied the parcel i venture to send you a dress which i think will suit you better than the blue kindly accept it and wear it as a proof that you have forgiven me for my impertinence about the dress of your own choosing i have ordered the lamia costume and shall be much obliged if you will go to mercer's in bow street and have it tried on i have told them you will call yours always walter leyburne mrs gurner turned over the contents of the parcel with many a moan it must have cost ten shillings a yard she said and there's fifteen yards that's seven pound ten and six yards of lace at fifteen shillings to a pound call it fifteen four pound ten twelve pounds for a dress that you can never wear but once in a way on a sunday afternoon and then be dressed above your station and draw down evil-minded remarks twelve pound would have paid a quarter's rent what a pity he didn't give you the money do you suppose i'd have taken money from him grandma flashed out loo wrapping up her parcel indignantly you don't know how to appreciate kindness and generosity i don't care if i never wear the dress but i'm proud to think he thought it was fit for me and bought me such a dress as he'd have bought for a lady jared felt nothing but satisfaction at sight of the present bravo said he hold up your head my girl there's money bid for you who knows what may happen i should like to have a look at that doll-faced miss in fitzroy square and see if she's as good-looking as our loo now that she's taken to keep her hair tidy 
instead of being grateful for the implied compliment the girl flamed up at this speech of her father's you've no business to say such things she cried you've no right to talk about the young lady like that that mr leyburne's going to marry it's all very well for him to be kind and to make believe to think me a lady and i'm grateful to him for taking so much trouble but do you think i don't know that it's all make-believe do you think i don't know that i'm like the dirt under his feet bless and save us exclaimed jarred what a spitfire here give me the tobacco jar loo and don't talk like a fool the best horse will win depend upon it and it isn't likely i should pack a strange stable when i've got a filly of my own in the race End of chapter eight